in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. Where each week we go through some comic books we like, and this week we're going off into an Else World's tale because this world's kind of crappy. I know, right? It's all on fire and stuff. There's brimstone, and like some mute tried to steal my shoes today, and I, I had to yeah. tell him like they're not even really good shoes. They're, they're like they're like they're kids. Like I don't know what I used to steal those for. I, they're not Converse. And I've never actually seen brimstone before. Like you can't get that stuff off your shoes. <laughs> I Once know. it's there, it just stays. Yes, and it doesn't smell very good. It stains the carpet. It, it does. It does. Don't bring that in the house. Mom will be <laughs> mad at you. What you should bring into your house every week, though, is our show, and I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and welcome back to the last comic shop, a place where we get together in this post-apocalyptic wasteland of ours and do the one thing that we all wanted to do when we had time enough at last. Yes, we wanted to read comic books and then broadcast these fantastic reviews back to you folks that maybe still have comic book shops and can go and pick these things up. Well, you still can. That's right. And of course, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Chad Smith. It's an Elseworld, Chad, where I wear thigh-high boots this week. I'm really changing it up, trying to get something else out there. I've got a mustache. It's crazy. (laughs) It's an interesting picture. It's like something at a rocker or a picture show or something. And of course, I'm also joined by my other co-host. I've got uh, J.A. Scott. J.A., uh, real quickly, I was wondering if you could tell me what is the greatest post-apocalyptic movie, at least in your opinion? Oh, greatest? I don't know. I can tell you what my favorite is. Okay. Well, then, that, that's fair uh, enough. That counts. And it's gone through you know, some changes over the years as new movies come out that are in the post-apocalyptic oeuvre, I would have to say Children of Men, the Alfonso Cuaron 2006 movie. Oh, yeah! Is the one about the, where, when the, no more kids are being born and, and stuff? Is that is that with um, Clive Owen? Correct. I just thought it was uh, really well-directed, really well-written, interesting idea. I think sometimes post-apocalyptic either work if they're bonzo crazy, like the entire world's been blown up and there are 10 people living on Earth surviving from zombies, or if it's something that, you know, one tiny little change in the current fabric of humanity, and you can just see 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the way the world slides into chaos. And I think that the children of men is that one tiny little change in today's Fabric, actually, maybe it's already happened. Who knows? Slide I was going to say, chaos. if recent history has taught me anything, it's that we're already sliding there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> we're well underway in that slide. Put your hands up and say we. <laughs> All right. Well, Chad, what's your favorite post-apocalyptic movie? 
So I'm going to go... I, I had a tough one on this because there are some really old school ones that I, I loved. Um, I was thinking things like Death Race. But I've got to go with Mad Max Fury Road just because I think that's the last great movie experience. Okay. Like, yeah, forget all the superhero movies. Like, they're their own thing. But that, that experience keeps being repeated time and time again. But, but with Fury Road, you just had such batshit crazy balls to the wall stunts and a plot that didn't matter and action sequences and it was just it was great in like every single way everything you'd want out of a movie and that's an experience with fury road that you don't get anywhere else you don't get books like that you don't nothing you can't do it that way and when you look at the other movies around it that have come out in the last two decades like fury road was great okay i was gonna say it's hard to replicate a guy on top of a tractor trailer playing a guitar with fire coming out of it. I, while people were on stilts going from car to car. Like, <laughs> they're on stilts! <laughs> I was hoping somebody would bring up at least one of the movies from the Mad Max series, whether or not it was that one uh, or my particular favorite, Road Warrior. I, I, I like Lord Humongous. That's, that's, for <laughs> me, that'll always be the gold standard. Uh, with the gyro pilot and and everything like that, and he eating the dog food while he's looking through the the telescope. Uh, it's it's just a good movie. But um, if I was going to name mine, and there's a ton, uh, post apocalyptic genre is one of my faves. But if I was going to name one, it's uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, not the, not Planet of the Apes, but Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second one uh, with James Fran- James Franciscus uh, and. They wanted to get Charlton Heston back, and they, they gave him a ton of money, and he showed up for, like, five seconds of it. But it's so good because you get, like, the mutants underground, like, the world blows up at the end, the, there's, like, an ape army. It's 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 classic. It's 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 so good. And uh, uh, The Almighty Bomb, I, I, I like that movie more than Planet of the Apes, which can kind of get a little bit preachy. In any case, we will be right back after these commercial breaks with an actual comic book talk. We're going to be reviewing a comic book on today's program, as we always do, and we're going to be reviewing White Knight, uh, Batman White Knight. So uh, stay tuned for that. the three-legged dog of comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they do in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole covers. C-A-T they were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Critic was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street-fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, it's going to suck. Welcome back to The Last Comic Shop, and we've got a read-pile review for you this week. It's a fantastic book called Batman White Knight, and it's uh, written by Sean Murphy, and drawn by Sean Murphy as well. That's right. With the assist uh, of Matt Hollingsworth on colors and Todd Klein on letters. 
but really it's a very uh, isolated affair here. Now, Chad, you usually are my comic book go-to guy. Have you read anything else that Sean Murphy has done over the years? Well, I first heard his name back with, uh, I believe it was called Joe the Barbarian. It was a Vertigo series, uh, which I didn't pick up, but I did snag a copy of his Punk Rock Jesus. Oh, yes! Where, you know, he's got that punk aesthetic, but uh, I I love the look of his art. So I was excited when you you said this was going to be our... Uh, what we're reading this week. Absolutely. And it's a book that I've wanted to read for quite some time. Uh, I actually got it in trade paperback, I think about two years ago, and it's been sitting in my read pile. And uh, I've I've been interested. This notion uh, of the Joker becoming a good guy in kind of an Elseworlds story, you know how I love Elseworlds. Um, Anytime you can do a what if or give me a little twist on the normal continuity, I'm going to bite on that. Uh, so I was very, very interested in getting into t- this uh, week's book. So here comes your 10 cent synopsis, folks. 10 cent synopsis, Batman White Knight. Uh, so basically, Batman is still doing his Batman stuff. He's got Nightwing, he's got Batgirl, and uh, he's a little, maybe a little more militant in this. I don't know. You, you, you can, you, as a reader, you can kind of decide that. But one thing is for sure is the Joker is definitely not the Joker that you've seen in any other book. Uh, thus far, at least in my opinion. The Joker decides to take a bunch of pills and turns back into Jack Napier, uh, who you might remember was the name of the Joker in the Batman 89 movie and was never used anywhere else. But, you know, maybe Sean Murphy's a fan of that. I I don't know. Regardless, he takes some pills and hooks up with the original Harley Quinn, which turns out to be another Harley Quinn, uh, which is more like the Margot Robbie one. It's been running around for the last couple of years. So there's two Harleys. Anyways, he decides he's going to run for councilman. He's going to get Batman off the streets because he thinks he's a menace to society. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he does ultimately get Batman arrested. But then Margot Robbie, uh, Harley Quinn, decides that she doesn't like the Jack Napier not being the Joker and decides to freeze the entire city of Gotham City, which forces a epic team up between Joker slash Jack Napier slash Batman Bruce Wayne. And that's it. That's the whole book in a nutshell, folks. Your 10 cent synopsis here on The Last Comic Shop. So we're going to go ahead and get into our initial thoughts of this particular book. And we're going to start off with somebody that hasn't done a lot of talking on this particular segment. And that is my cousin, J.A. Scott. J.A., what did you think of this particular book? Uh, It was (laughs) interesting. And the the writer, artist, definitely... Loved his 1989 Batman. He loved his Batman the Animated Series. He loved his Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Essentially, he was obviously a child of the 80s. I don't know if you guys picked this up, but when Bruce Wayne goes to that party, he shows up. The car he's driving is a Aston Martin V8 Vantage with the license plate Dalton 007. (laughs) <laughs> which is the Timothy Dalton Living Daylights, <laughs> Aston Martin. Yeah, so I uh, I like those little Easter eggs throughout the book, but um, I thought it had some problematic plot elements. Like, I couldn't buy the fact that all of a sudden half of Gotham just loves Jack Napier, you know, just can forget about all the bad things he did as the Joker. Like, you know, megalomaniac stuff. Put a pin in that one. I want to come back to that. That's a big deal for me, too. But 
as I said, I read it in one sitting. It was a page turner. I wanted to find out what happened. I thought that it was a kind of the they concluded a bit too quickly and a bit too neat. The ending really felt like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. It's like everything has to come to this little put a bow on wrapping the whole thing, the story up. So um, was it a good book? I don't know. Am I glad I read it? Yes. Well, that's an interesting first uh, first initial thoughts. Uh, Chad, you said that you wanted to put a pin in something and come back to it? I, I want to start off by saying I, I Googled it while, while Jay was talking there, and Sean Murphy is 40, so he's right around our age range. You know, his Batman is our Batman with the animated series and that, that whole era. Uh, and you can see it in the details. The, like, the way he has the action figures and the posters and the... Like, all those little things are there. And his Batman is that vigilante Batman who, after the death of Jason Todd, has gone off the edge a little bit. You know, his boots get higher, his, uh, the risks he takes get bigger, that kind of thing. But yeah, you can tell his love of the animated series and all that stuff. The callbacks to that. In the, I love Killer Croc, where he's like, oh, it was a big rock. Like that was. <laughs> I know, right? That was, a great, that was a great line. The thing about this, you get a story where Batman, he loses his moral compass in Alfred. And that that part I got. I totally get Batman the Vigilante. I totally get somebody needing to take down Batman. But the fact that it's a redeemed Joker rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Just because the Joker has killed so many people and, like, done such terrible, terrible things, like, it legitimately got me thinking, like, where is the line? Like, can you say somebody's better after they've, you know, killed, you know, close to an entire state's population worth of people? Like, even if they did take pills that made their face change colors? Well, I I definitely want to jump in on that point, because, you know, it's it's interesting that I've often said that some of my favorite comic books have always been the ones where uh, they take a villain and they try to humanize him in some way or give his um, respectability by giving him at least like a moral code that he particularly follows. Like we always, we always say like some of the best villains are the ones that are heroes of their own story. That's why I love Dr. Doom. That's why I think he's the best uh, super villain in the business because he has a legit moral code that he follows. And sure that might rub some other people the wrong way, but ultimately at the end of the day, he doesn't consider himself a super villain. He considers himself the hero for Latveria and so forth. Same thing you could also kind of say for Thanos in, in some of the MCU movies. I don't know so much about the, the actual Marvel continuity, uh, but even Lex Luthor, I could say, has his own somewhat moral code that he kind of follows to a certain extent. And so therefore, even Lex, you know, can kind of be deepened by some of these stories. I don't know about the Joker. Mm. I don't know if this works <laughs> yeah. for the Joker. Uh, for me, the Joker works best when he's an agent of chaos that kind of comes out of nowhere. I've always said that that's why the Joker and the Batman work, because they are two sides of a... Two sides of a giant penny. <laughs> Two sides of a giant penny. It's a conflict that we see in society all the time, where you've got order, which represents Batman, you've got chaos, which is, represents the Joker. And that they're constantly at heads. And I love the fact that the Joker represents crime. He represents the chaos of crime. Like, it happens anywhere. It can happen to anybody. Anybody can get murdered. Anybody can get robbed. When you try to humanize that and put a person behind it, I don't know. It, it seems like you just like the the cosplay Joker, like the the notion of like the Joker could be redeemed and he could hang out with Harley Quinn and be a, a fantastic lover and 
you know, wonderful to her, even though he beats the crap out of her most of the time? I, I don't know. Yeah, do well, no, he definitely, Murphy definitely softens the edges on a lot of things, and I think J.A. was alluding to that, too. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that animated series love, you know, shines through in the way that he softens stuff. And so he makes the Joker a little less murderous in this story. You know, he makes the 90s Harley Quinn a little bit more reasonable. Like, she knows what's going on. And then, like, the Margot Robbie, like, the Harley Quinn uh, of recent years where she's kind of hypersexualized. Like, even Margot Robbie didn't like being that Harley Harley Quinn. You know, he points out, like, look how lame she is. And then she shows up as a a new villain that's even lamer. Mm. It's like, oh. (laughs) There was a part of me where... I would have loved this story if it just wasn't the Joker. And at the same time, if you take him out of the story, could you do this, you know, with all the Harley Quinn stuff? Probably not. Could the Jason Todd stuff, would it be as effective? Probably not. But damn it, if I can't get behind the Joker, I just can't do it. And I like some of the concepts that they're, they're working with. I thought he had a lot of different things going on. Like the whole idea that Batman and Joker exist for each other and that Gotham has become collateral damage as a result of their battles and that take one person out of that equation and it doesn't work and the other one goes crazy and they need each other and they feed off each other. But the result has been that Gotham itself is being destroyed by this. And, And this book came out in 2018. So he's winding in a lot of Social commentary about cops and about uh, minorities, and that's yeah, the where neighborhoods you get they all destroy. That. The neighborhoods they destroy are minority neighborhoods, and I think there's even at the beginning when uh, Batman arrests Joker and is assaulting him, Joker says, "I can't breathe" or something, which is a callback to Eric Garner, and you know, there's a lot of sort of social, quasi-social commentary going on about the role of cops in society, the role of government in society, how corruption can become endemic within institutions and all that. And some of that I thought, yeah. And some of that I thought worked really well. And some of that I felt was a bit shoehorned in, like he painted himself into corners or wrote himself into corners that you had to believe in the concept to make it work. Like it works. If you believe that half the city could suddenly forgive the Joker, because he's he looks different and he wears a nice suit. Yeah, I was gonna, uh, you know, there there are a couple interesting also points that he brings up in this that are again points that every Batman fan has kind of pointed out on on occasion. I know that we we've talked about it already uh, previously, Chad, but it's also this notion that like if Batman really wanted to end crime in Gotham, like why didn't he just give you know a fleet of the Batmobiles to the police department. Why right. doesn't he just, you know, give them his, his Kevlar armor and his, his utility belts and let them go about the business of, of fighting crime on, on the, on the, on the, on the public's behalf. And this idea that his war on crime, I mean, it's, it's interesting that the Joker, this Jack Napier character actually does make some valid points about, about Batman and how like he is, in some ways causing just as much destruction and chaos in Gotham city as the Joker is. It's just, he masks it in a different way and says, well, nobody's capable of doing it other than me. When in fact, there's tons of folks that are, as he rightly points out. Um, Another thing I wanted to kind of talk about with you guys is 
What did you think of this notion of splitting the Harley Quinn character in two? Like, basically, he said here at this point, he's like, no, 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 no. There's a there is truly two Harley Quinn characters. There's the one from the animated series and then the Margot Robbie one. And this was huge. Like, it happens in issue two. And so, like, it really happens early in the book. What did you guys think of, like, actually doing that with the Harley Quinn character? I liked it. I'm not a massive Harley Quinn fan. So to me, it was just, oh, that's a cool kind of story element. And it was nice to see the original Harley Quinn costume from the animated series. So, And I like the little dig that the original Harley Quinn has at the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. We just think, oh, yeah, and great costume there. Really, really standing up for feminism with that one. Well, no, I, and I think it's because we are a similar age to Sean Murphy, where we grew up with that Harley Quinn. And how many of us have said... When you see the Margot Robbie version, like, oh, that's a beautiful woman, but that's not my Harley Quinn. Like, I think that's what he's doing to the the fullest extent, where he's playing with that fan service and saying, in the animated series, that's the real Harley Quinn. The Marbo Ro- Margot Robbie cutoff shirt, like, no, that's this new bastardized version, which, as comic fans, we do that stuff all the time. Yeah. I remember Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man. I'm like, that's not my Spider-Man. <laughs> like... And I had two separate Spider-Mans in my head. I had the Dan Slott one, and then I had the, you know, the classic, like, who Spider-Man is to me. So I, I thought that was fun. Okay. I, I agree with that. I, I wanted to get your thoughts, but I ultimately thought it worked really well with the story because it allowed, basically, this kind of split personality aspect of Joker. I mean, I guess if you're going to play up anything, the two sides of his own female uh, equivalent. It, it worked for me, and I liked the fact the original Harley Quinn will say, act as, acted as pretty much the voice of reason throughout the entire book. I was trying to find an audience surrogate in this book. I, I really was. Like, I was trying to find out like who, who we were supposed to feel for, who we were supposed to feel for the Joker. Was that the guy that we were supposed to root for in this book? Did we I think want it's to the see... first Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's who I think it is. I think yeah. she's uh, supposed to be the one that ultimately is getting a little bit of redemption and, uh, again, has the lowest level head on her shoulders. And to go back to J.A.'s point, too, I, I do think it's commentary. It's it's commentary on the state of comics and what happened at a certain point where, you know, Harley Quinn stopped dressing up in the red and black Harley Quinn outfit and started dressing more like she crawled out from a gutter. It was interesting, too, the fact that... Because his plan, actually, in this book, if you notice, uh, he does a lot of Joker-esque things, even when he's Jack Napier, like taking over all the supervillains, then making them basically destroy a library so that he can put himself into as a councilman. It is very nefarious and Machiavellian-esque. And so, again, I'm really struggling with whether or not you're supposed to think the Joker is a good guy in this or not. Yeah. If whether Sean Murphy's ultimate goal was to just shine a little more light on as a more balanced character or whether he was supposed to be the good guy. So that's the question I have for you. Is the Joker in this particular book, is he the protagonist? Like, is he the good guy? Is he the guy you're rooting for in this book? Can I jump in and say that I don't care? And <laughs> here's my problem with this book, because I love the art. I, I, I can deal with the story. You know, Batman's gone too far, like... That part makes sense. He loses his moral compass and starts going further and further. And, of course, you have Dick and Barbara who are like, we need to rein him in. And I even love uh, Barbara, you know, the one being to get in the middle and be like, no, Dick, you need to respect him. No, Bruce, you need to calm your ass down. And, like, I thought, thought all that stuff was great. And Sean Murphy played with the toys so well 
with all the rogues gallery and the way he used Clayface and the Mad Hatter and like and and Mr. Freeze, all that stuff was great. But the fact of the matter is, I'm so sick of the weird uh, psychosexual relationship between the Joker and Batman. Like, when that's a serious plot point, we're like, you need me. You're in love with Batman. You're in love with the Joker. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I just, I can't stand it anymore. And I'm so jokered out. If I would have gotten to this story whenever it first came out, I think I would have liked it a lot more. But in the intervening years, like, between the Joker movie and the three Jokers and the Joker war and Joker this and Joker that, like, I'm just in no way, shape, or form ready to care about that character. And so even when he's doing good stuff and pointing out things like, well, that, you know, that brings up a very good point there, Jack Napier. I'm still like, no, no, f*** you. Is he the protagonist? I don't know. I think because it's a Batman book, the whole time you're waiting to see how Batman resolves his inner anger issues. And you're also, I, at least I was always reading it, waiting for Joker to turn bad again, you know. I didn't think it was a long con. Uh, he was obviously taking pills, and as it goes farther and farther into the book, the pills become much more of a a story element. So I had, oh well, you know, at some point he's going to revert to Joker. Is it going to be before or after the big climactic battle? So yeah, I guess he's a bit of the protagonist, but one that I didn't really care if he was bad or good. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. And you and you and and you are waiting for that moment uh, where things get back to the status quo, per se. Yeah. Uh, where you're like, Batman's going to be the good guy. Joker's going to be the bad guy. Let's get let's get back to that. And I think that's to your point when you mentioned that it was things are wrapped up in a nice little package. That was the thing that I I disliked the most about this book is by the end you were like, nope. No, he's he's the Joker again, and there's no question about it. And Batman is now uh, totally good and back with Commissioner Gordon. And I was just like, well, a lot of people have grown in this series. Like, I don't know if all of that really should have happened the way that it is. I was going to say, I'll give him credit. I, uh, Sean Murphy's got stones to point out the hypocrisy of Batman and Gordon. And how long has Gordon just been sitting there watching that go by? And like, yeah, I don't know who he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I call him three times a week. We hang out, play cards and stuff. But you know, I don't know where he goes home to. All right. Well, one one thing we haven't talked about during our our, our talk is about the art, uh, and and is a, and and I gotta say, it's wonderful art by Sean Murphy. He walks that line uh, between uh, I don't know sketchiness and 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 not. It's sometimes you know very angular in its lines and not clean and and polished. It's more again almost like um, uh, rough drafts, but I'm not going to use that term. But at the same time, there's moments where like the, you get the Joker's face in a reveal on a page, and it's like crystal clear, and it's a really neat dichotomy. So I was a huge huge fan of the art. Yeah, no, for to chime in, I, I totally agree with you, and I think. It is sketchy, but at the same time, the storytelling is there, you know, and that's something that the really great artists, you know, can they, can they move you around the page and can they, you know, work their magic? And I think he does that great. Uh, the other thing that's worth noting are the character designs, where there were some times where I really loved the character designs, and then sometimes where I'm like, ugh. Like, his Joker redesign was terrible, with a little cut-off Batman t-shirt and the suspenders. Yeah. Like, 
what the hell is that? And the, and the, and the Gotham City uh, Super Cops costumes? Yeah. Like, what is, like these puffy jackets with like uh, with the red and the blues? I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't get that. But. but at the same time, like, I love Nightwing with a hat. <laughs> he does look dapper in that hat. And I love the fact that Nightwing gets to ride in the animated series Batmobile at the end. The, the, those oh, Easter eggs with all the Batmobiles. I mean, that's great. J.A. Well, as I said at the top of the show, I thought the art was very reminiscent of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. It had that same sort of uh, character to it. I really liked how he laid out his panels. I really liked how the story flowed. And uh, I will agree on some of the uh, character designs. I thought that the original uh, Super Cops where they're all driving around in muscle cars. I was like, what is this? Fast and Furious? <laughs> oh, but, uh, that's part of the fun, though. This guy definitely yes. knows how to play with the toys. Uh, speaking of that, one of my favorite call-outs, he obviously loved the Michael Keaton Batman, the 89 Batman, because there's the plot element where they're trying to arrest Batman, and he's like, our cars just can't handle the Batmobile, and... Gordon says, I've got something that can. And it's this full page panel, single panel reveal of the Batmobile from the Has that car ever looked better than in that page? Like, it didn't even look that good in the movies. So good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and that brought up, because, you know, I don't read a lot of Batman. Is that something that's done all the time? Where you see this lineage of all the different movie Batmobiles, the television Batmobile, you had the Adam West Batmobile, you had the Batmobile from the Christopher Nolan series, which had even a plot element in the final standoff. You had, as we just mentioned, the Batman, the Batmobile from the original uh, 89 Batman movie with Michael I Keaton. Think I think was there was the, even the Joel Schumacher Batmobile. God there's forbid. the Batcoop from the 1940s. Uh, I yeah. think somebody rides around in that. I was trying to figure out uh, Bullock's in a, a bat jeep, I don't know, Wrangler or something. It's like some sort of jeep vehicle. I was like, I don't I don't recognize that one. But uh, yeah, that's um, that's actually, that's Sean Murphy. He's just decided, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to put all my Batmobiles in a row. These are my toys. I've lined them up, and then I'm going to give them out to people. And again, how fun was it to go through and be like, look at that one. Oh, look at that one. Oh, man. Ah, that's awesome. And it's still the best that, that, that Nightwing gets to ride that Batman in the Animated Series one. I'm like, if anybody's going to drive that car, it's got to be Nightwing. So uh, anyways, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks, quick commercial breaks, and we were going to give our final thoughts, our rating for this particular book as well as some other comic books that you should pick up in your free time. So stay tuned. Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it while the city's best detectives are on the case. 
Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, A dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, It's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, Can't wait for this book. You gotta get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies and digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it's our time for our uh, final uh, review, grade, whatever you want to call it, of Batman White Knights. And we're going to say... Final evaluation. We're going to start with all for my my cousin J.A. Scott as to his final thoughts, as well as his rating, which this week will be uh, one out of four Batmobiles. So one out of four. So one, two, three or four Batmobiles, uh, depending on uh, how great you think this particular book is. So J.A. Are we allowed half-mobiles? I guess. Those would be Bat-cycles or mm-hmm. Bat-wings or bat gyros i don't know jay what was what's your uh, final final thoughts on this i like the art i liked some of the stories uh, i thought that he struggled with things i struggled with i thought if you throw out that sort of key plot element whole story works a lot better i would give it three batmobiles out of four but the batmobile i'm using is the adam west batmobile so that's like a week three batmobiles out of four we're not talking the 89 batmobile that's that's fighting words for chad anyways chad what what's your final thoughts and your final rating of this particular book no, I, I totally agree uh, that the things that I disliked about the plot were just so integral that you couldn't take them out. That's what bothers me the most, because there's so much else in here that I, I loved. I loved the, the drawings of all the cars. I thought some of the redesigns were lots of fun. Although, let's just put it out on the table. Batman should just wear pants. <laughs> and these thigh-high boots, like, that's not working. And I don't like when he's all gray and not wearing the belts. Like, that doesn't work for me either. Put on a pair of pants, Batman. You're going to do all this tactical armor. Consider pants. Right. Just a pair uh, of cargo pants or something. Big something, pockets yeah. everywhere. He likes the pouches. But, uh, yeah, no, I will agree with three out of four Batmobiles. And the Adam West Batmobile, by the way, would totally kick the ass of all the other Batmobiles, including... That craptacular 1989 Batmobile that turns into a cocoon. Do you remember that? Do you remember the toy that had the stupid plastic cocoon shell? <laughs> Step on that once, it gets a big crack in the cocoon. Am I remembering that correctly? Did that Batman, that, was it run on a, out on a lawnmower engine? <laughs> <laughs> the original, for, for the movie, yes. I think they, they used a fiberglass Corvette frame and they put in a very small engine. And, but that might have been for the fake flames coming out the back. Uh, wasn't the 66 Batmobile a concept Lincoln? Yeah, you don't mess with that. <laughs> Batteries to power, turbines to speed. You know what? With my rating for this particular book, I'm going to actually go a little bit lower than both of you. I'm going to give it two Batmobiles out of four. I'm going to give it a 
better Batmobile, so maybe it's a little bit closer to a three than a two. With a Bat Tumbler, I always liked the Bat Tumbler. I, I always thought if you're going to ride around and really scare criminals, you should ride around in a tank. But ultimately, I'm, I'm going to give it a two because I had actually higher expectations for this particular book, and I don't think they were really met. Uh, I remember getting this book originally and thinking, wow, this is going to be the story of like what happens if the Joker was Robin Hood and was fighting the wrongs of a malicious, militant Batman throughout Gotham City. It ended up being nothing like that at all. Uh, it ended up just being a kind of a, I hate to say it, a pretty lackluster Elseworlds uh, about what happens if the Joker eats some pills and is okay with not being as super villainy as he usually is. Because he does do a lot of nasty, bad things. He ends up taking control of the minds of all these supervillains and getting them to destroy wanton property. These are supervillain things, folks. But I will say that I'm not going to give it a lower grade than a two because there were some interesting concepts. The fact that he, the, the commentary that he has on Batman, uh, the fact that he's bringing up these things about how they could just basically fund the police department and solve all of Gotham's problems. These are all important things. And I did really and like the hard question. What happened to Jason Todd? Yeah. yeah I, I didn't actually even mind that being that Jason Todd was in this book, the original Robin. Like I didn't mind that at all. And I think it was kind of chilling that moment where he says like, you know, he was asking him about the secret identities. Like I wish, I wish I'd never met Bruce Wayne. I think that was, kind of telling of the relationship that Batman has with his Robins, ultimately. And so, but it's it's still a two. It's a two out of four. The art really does, is really wonderful, but I was just expecting more. I was expecting more from this book, and it just didn't deliver on that. So as we round up this week's episode of The Last Comic Shop, we're going to give you some recommendations for other comic books that you should check out. So um, as we always do on this program, we're going to give you one current book, one book that is kind of related to the book that we reviewed today, and then one out of left field that we found in a bunker somewhere in a bombed out baseball stadium we've got uh j.a he's going to give us your recommendation for a book that is similar so j.a what's your recommendation so i mean this one's pretty easy if you if you like your batman stories you like your batman elseworld stories the linear successor to this almost is a precursor in terms of when it was published and that would be frank miller's original the dark knight returns which uh, this book obviously draws a lot of its style from. So I can't recommend Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns original four-issue run. Uh, it's out in various different formats at, by now. If you haven't read it, read it. If you have read it, reread it again, because it is a seminal piece <laughs> of 1980s comic book history. Okay. Uh, I will go up next with your current book that you should check it out. And it's a book that's been running for several years now. It is The Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing. Uh, It is the only book that I have been religiously getting uh, in my comic book pool pile uh, since the issue one came out. There have other been books that I've gotten that I've dropped off of, but Immortal Hulk just keeps getting better and better every single issue. Now, again, for those folks that don't know the short story about Immortal Hulk is this is a book about what happens if the Hulk really could never die. 
but it's not only the Hulk that can't die, it's pretty much anybody that's been um, infected or exposed to gamma. So you've got the Doc Sampsons, you've got the leaders, you've got uh, Betty Ross as the uh, she, uh, the Red She-Hulk, uh, you've got the regular She-Hulk, you've got um, uh, the Sasquatch. And uh, ultimately, again, it's uh, it's a really interesting piece. And it's told from with a lot of horror elements. Uh, and for those people that are sitting on the fence just saying to themselves, well, I don't really buy this notion that uh, the Hulk could be immortal. Let me just say this, that Al Ewing does a fantastic job of basically recasting the Hulk in this particular series as Dr. Manhattan from The Watchmen. Because that's pretty much all he is. Basically a guy that is being able to use uh, nuclear power, in this case gamma, to recreate his body and give himself tremendous powers and uh, will be ultimately be immortal and outlive the entire universe. And so uh, if you like Watchmen and you like uh, the kind of stuff that they were doing with Dr. Manhattan, pick up the immortal Hulk because it's pretty much the same story, except Bruce Banner is even more interesting than, uh, than Dr. Manhattan in terms of having split personalities and all that jazz. Immortal Hulk. Great, great book. Chad, what is from out of left field this week? <laughs> so I like to spend my time flipping through the dollar bins. That's like my therapy. I had a rough day at work, you know, flip through the bins for a little bit to find what's what. And recently, one of my favorite discoveries was uh, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Which, if you grew up around the time that Sean Murphy and I grew up as we're, we're near the same age. You might remember Captain Power as the toy line that interacted with the video. Yeah. The video shoot at your toy, and then if it hit, Captain Power would eject from his seat. And not only was there a tie-in book, but this tie-in book was done through uh, Continuity Comics, and it was done by none other than Neil Adams. So Neil Adams is a co-writer and artist, and it's like, what in the world is this Captain Power stuff, which also, comic fans might note, the, the first couple issues were adapted from J. Michael Straczynski's teleplay, A Summoning of Thunder. But uh, I found the first two of three issues, and so now I am have it on my, my list to track down that third one. Just for more Neil Adams doing weird tech, Neil Adams doing future robots, shooting at tanks... Uh, and man, I wish I still had the toys to see if they could interact and Captain Power would just randomly shoot out of things. Because that was <laughs> awesome. Was, remember that? He was plated in chrome like gold. And, oh, yeah. Those guys were the six. best. And, the, and, and all of those guys. I mean, it was, a, it was a super stylistic show. Like, again, you had like half men, half robots and giant bird looking cyborgs and neat 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 concept who uh who put that book out is that um marvel's uh first line what was it what, what marvel no star you're thinking line? of star and this was not star comics this no, was, no this was uh, neil adams studio the continuity comics oh continuity comics yeah okay. so it was it was a little bit out there but yeah this was like gi joe with shiny parts set in the future and it is awesome well there you go 
All right, and that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another one of our broadcasts in the not-too-distant future, as well as check us out on all of our social media sites. That's Last Comic Shop on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And while we may be the last comic shop, there's a good chance you have a local comic shop near you that you can find at www.comicshoplocator.com, where you can go and find some of the stuff we talked about today, and maybe some other stuff that's worth talking about in the future. Yes. All right. Well, I was your host, the most Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. Make sure that until next week, folks, stay safe. Because you never know what could be lurking out there. Or in your local comic shop. You did it! You finally did it! Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.